Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. Reed Coverdale joining us for the first time in studio. We had you on as a guest uh, a while back during the trucker thing. That was earlier this year, I think, probably February or somewhere in that range during the Canadian uh, trucker situation, which, of course, was amazing. And we had you on at the time to talk about the potential. It hadn't happened yet for the American version of that protest, which was turned into a huge flop. I don't know. Were you following the uh, the American thing at all? I was. I mean, everyone was asking me beforehand, do you want to see this happen in the United States? And I was actually pointing that it doesn't need to happen in the United States because we got the Free State Project, or you can move to mm. Florida, or you can do whatever. Exactly. Canadians can't do that. They've got universal mandates. They can't escape, and that's why they nationally had that uprising. But yeah, it turned into a huge joke, as I kind of guessed it would in the United States. Yeah, I think you did predict that it either wasn't going to happen, or it wasn't going to be much uh, of which to speak. And if I recall correctly, uh, it looked like it was going to be something. Like, we were following it here. They took off from California. They convoyed across the entire United States. They gathered steam the whole way. Uh, there were people that were on overpasses waving, like, the whole way. Like Whatever you tune into one of the live streams from one of the drivers, any overpass, there's a huge amount of people that were there. So it seemed like there was a lot of energy that something was happening. And, you know, I think one thing is it's very expensive. It's probably well, really it was expensive, expensive protest. But, but that didn't stop people from doing it. There, right, were, right. there were people. It wasn't a flop in that there was no one there. It, right. it was very successful as far as attendance was concerned. But once they got into the D.C. area, mm-hmm. it, they didn't know. what They were literally spinning their wheels. They right. didn't know what to do. They went to this uh, speedway, I think, in Hagerstown. Hagerstown. I was there when they really? showed up. Yeah. So I was uh, already going to Washington, D.C. Uh, to the... Uh, uh, I forget what the name of the conference was, but it was like this anti-APAC convention. Hmm. Uh, uh, me, Eric Jackman, and Ryan Dawson were there. And in Hagerstown, uh, Maryland, all the truckers were meeting up. But they didn't have near the numbers the Canadians did. They were okay. like... What would you say? How many? I'd say tops, like a couple hundred. I mean, still, that's that's still a, lot a lot of trucks. Yeah, Canada had like yeah. 50,000, I think. No, or something. are you kidding? Like no, 50,000. No, no, what I heard. That's no. that's the number that was flying around early on. Maybe it was in the thousands for maybe sure. Maybe 50,000 people. 50,000 would maybe be like the total number of people who went to Ottawa. The politicians were able to sort of run out in front of this parade, so to speak, which is, of course, what politicians are great at. Uh, they, they see a movement and then they act like they've been in support of it the whole time and get whatever kind of accolades or back pat that they, they get from that, whatever kind of political... They certainly had every angle of control uh, when it regards to the money flow going into the truckers in Canada, you know. Yeah. You're talking about but, the, oh, yeah, in Canada. Yeah. But but in the U.S., I was talking about what happened in the U.S. Right, right. was the truckers were all excited about Ted Cruz had a meeting with them. And some other politician sat wow. down and talked to them. And they acted like this was the big success like not the fact that they got hundreds of people to come together and you know mm-hmm. did whatever it is that they did uh but the fact that they got to sit down for two hours and listen to some windbag politicians act like they gave a damn yeah. about what their concerns were and that was to me just the, the biggest head shake i moment. noticed while i was in hagerstown unlike the protests in canada it wasn't just anti-mandate anti government anti-authoritarian it was very very like pro-trump 
Very, uh, very like right wing, very, very mm-hmm. um, specific. So it didn't seem as open to the uh, coalition that the Canadians had, you know. So I think that probably stifled their numbers quite a bit. How too. long did you stick around before you, you moved on? Just I was there, in? I don't know, a couple hours. And I listened to a bunch of speeches um, and then, you know, walked around and talked to people. But it wasn't that interesting, to be honest. So. Yeah. So yeah, they they effectively did did very very little, got dispersed, and went home. And I think yeah. I'm glad you brought up these other options for people who are frustrated and who want to you know make some sort of a difference. You're not going to get that by voting. You can't vote your way out of this situation in Washington D.C. Uh, if you love liberty as those of us do, you ought to make the move here to New Hampshire, and that is what we did. Now, Reed, you're a native. Uh, from New Hampshire. You told us a little bit about that the last time you were on the show, but you have now moved back. You're now back here mm-hmm. where you came from, and you came back from Utah. Can you kind of, I don't know, take our listeners through your thought process of why'd you leave in the first place and what made you come back? Yeah, so I, I still prefer the geography of the west to the east, just the big mountains, mm-hmm. canyons, uh, wide open space. And uh, back in 20... What, 2015, I actually moved out to Arizona and then lived in Colorado for a little bit. And then I came back here in 2016 for three years. I was uh, out taking a walk a few days ago and I saw a sign about me. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> not really. Not not just me, but, but you too. And all the free staters in New Hampshire. And okay. Said, uh, the sign said, uh, no extremists. <clears throat> uh, take back our state. <laughs> so it's just a reminder that... that they, we have a little bit of control in this state for one. Now, did they, but, uh, okay, but did it actually say something about free staters or did it just say no extremists? No, that's what they were talking about, though. They, they, that wouldn't, they're not talking about Chris Sununu. <laughs> probably not. How do you know for sure, though? I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. They probably were talking about that, but how do you know that for but sure? I'm, I'm glad when they use the word extremist because it gives me a chance to explain what an extremist is. Uh, an and what is it? Is one as an extremist is one who believes so strongly in something that they're willing to make taxpayers underwrite it. Hmm? Oh, you're you're talking about them. <laughs> I see what you're saying. <laughs> so you're saying that it's not extreme to believe in peace. It's not extreme to no, believe in not. human freedom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you be able to keep the the stuff that you earn, like your your you know your money that you've earned. That should be, you know, that's not yeah. extremism. That's, uh, we need to just go on the offensive, sort of, and put that back at them. The, the people who are calling us extremists are saying that because they're extremists. Mm, yeah, <laughs> so, it's projecting. You know, extremists is one who believes something so strongly they're willing to force taxpayers to underwrite it. So I would urge people to take that line. Yeah, we were uh, just driving through New Hampshire today on the way back from federal court, which we'll talk about in a moment. And there was another sign, not exactly the same language, but you could tell it was one of the Democrat, you know, Democrats for the common good. And one of these signs that they they have around. And the idea, of course, is that they're the ones that are in support of peace and they're the ones that want to help people or whatever. And they and I think a lot of them do. A lot of these people yeah. do really want to help people. It's I believe just they, they're genuine and they have a good yeah, heart. But they just don't the understand that uh, the means that they are using is violent and right. it is counter to the things that they say that they support. Ian, the so, ideas are so good. They have to force them on you. <laughs> so do you guys like throwing the extremism moniker back at them or embracing it? Because I've actually embraced it. Like I refer to myself as an extremist sometimes because 
you know, it's, they've deemed everybody who opposes them an extremist. And I almost feel like people are kind of welcome to that term at this point. They don't yeah, really I, care anymore. I try not to adopt any labels, but like kind of like I like to bring up Cantwell as an example for this because they Chris kept Cantwell. on calling him a Nazi. Guess what? He's like, OK, I'm a Nazi. Mm-hmm. You that know what happened? And mm-hmm. I'd rather not just adopt what they just tell me. And I would like to trace, stay true to who I am. So the first thing I wanted to uh, talk about is actually a uh, guest you had on a few days ago. Uh, you and Aria were on. Uh, I always screw his name up, but Etienne Labetti uh, Squared. Yeah, Etienne <laughs> de la Bossie Squared, I believe is how it's pronounced. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was, um, I thought you were very generous in, in the amount of time you gave him and everything. And even having him on, basically he was saying he thought uh, Anarcho-Pulco, uh, you know, and, and some other groups, including your own group, Free, Free Talk Live, uh, was basically controlled opposition. Yeah. And he laid out a number of reasons for believing this, which really amount to hell beans, in my opinion. Uh, I, I mean, he didn't even have some of his facts correct. He confused the uh, Star of David, uh, the Jewish symbol, with a pentagram, a, a mm. Satan symbol. <laughs> I think corrected him on that. But you know, it 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 was all kind of like deja vu to me because, as a uh, libertarian activist been active uh, for years and pretty visible in the Libertarian Party. I've gone to like every national LP convention since the 90s. And um, as long as I've been involved, I've, I've encountered a certain, uh, you know, fairly small minority, but there's always been people in the LP and the movement who've been uncomfortable with me because, you know, I'm, I'm, op- I'm a sex worker. I openly work as a prostitute. I've been an activist in the Libertarian Party and in the freedom movement for quite a while, you mm-hmm. know, back to the 90s and gone to every na- national convention. And There's um, always been a segment of the party and the movement that has been uncomfortable with me. And I was getting deja vu about that, listening to Etienne's uh, critique of, uh, you know, yourselves and some of the other libertarians that he thought might be controlled opposition or that we're just somehow giving the freedom movement a bad name. And I think a lot of it is what, what is these people, you know, some of them have basically this real deep seated need to be quote unquote taken seriously Mm. by the establishment. They have such an inferiority complex from in their minds losing for so long. You know, there's always been this faction of the LP is just like about winning elections over everything else. Like we have to win, you know, winning, is everything. Wayne Allen Root, who was unfortunately our vice presidential nominee back in uh, oh, yeah. 2008 with Bob Barr, which is like the worst ticket ever. Terrible. Probably the worst. <laughs> the yeah. party ever had. Um, That's you know, when I, I quit I, uh, the Libertarian Party. Yeah. Have you heard um, that uh, Nick Sarwark is personally funding, or he's got people he knows with a lot of money, uh, funding alternative libertarian yes. campaigns here in New Hampshire? Have you caught Didn't wind of that? did Kevin Kahn drop out like he was supposed to run against I believe he Jeremy did. Um, he yeah, I think I heard to. that that's yeah. the case. But there is, I believe, still a, a gubernatorial yeah, candidate yeah. that uh, that they're pushing. And apparently she didn't get enough signatures validated right. by the state. But they're challenging that. They're saying that they were invalidated incorrectly and that they should have been valid. So it's still kind of up in the air as to whether or not she's going to be on the ballot. But that's uh, to me, I just saw that as like a, a, uh, a real plus for New Hampshire. It's like the, there's so many libertarians yeah. here. There's already been a schism in the libertarian party <laughs> yeah. because that's what happens. Like we were talking, I think it was off the air about these schisms within the movement is once you get to people, people outside of New Hampshire, they don't understand this because the libertarian group anywhere, you know, even in big cities is no more than 20 people if you're lucky 
it's probably more like 10 to 15. Yeah. And the, so yeah. these are people yeah. that you basically yeah, if, if, have to work with. So you have to work with them. And it doesn't matter what you think about that, how they are, what their mm-hmm. opinions are, or whatever. But here in New Hampshire, it's literally thousands of libertarians. And so yeah. once a group gets over 50 people or 30 people, it's natural that they're, it's just they can't get along with each other and they, they split. It's the same thing with you know religions well, it, as well. It, Go ahead, it start doesn't job. have to be. You know, people can get along. But unfortunately, you know, so many people with, with you know, a little bit outsized egos. And I, I, I blame both Nick and, and Tom Woods for this. I mean, I, I really think kind of a feud between them and also Jeff Deist or Deist, uh, you know, on Tom Woods' side. That kind of blew up into this whole fight over the, the Libertarian Party and made, you know, something that really didn't need to be an internal conflict into a huge conflict because a lot of times the ideas aren't that, you know, different. I mean, it's not like the people that the Mises caucus took over from in the LP were unprincipled. I mean, for the most part, most of them are principled. There were some high-profile examples, I would say, Bar and Root that we mentioned, and, you know, Gary Johnson saying, you know, people should be forced to bake cakes, you know, with gay messages on them, that that was okay. I mean, you know, there were, there were some high-profile things that, that people said occasionally that were the not... The party has been head-shakingly part, bad in the last yeah. 15 years up until just recently. Um, I mean, well, I, 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 don't, I don't agree with for that. For whatever I mean, reason. I, I think, again, there are some examples, but on the whole, most of the libertarians, including the national leadership, and I, I was, you know, self-disclosure in, in the national leadership for part of that time mm-hmm. myself, uh, I think most of the people were very principled. Now, on COVID, yeah, the party really fell down. We should have taken a stronger line. Reed, you made a point during the break that I thought might be worth bringing up, and that is that you've been watching the messaging of the of the party, and I I have as well. In fact, I made a point of subscribing to their tweets so i get notifications because i wanted to see when they took out when the mises caucus as they're called which is a, a interest group of you know some would say more principled libertarians took over the party i said all right well i, w- I want to see how the messaging changes and so i made a point of watching you know all of the things that that came out there and eventually i saw them actually endorse the free state project so i said all right something has definitely changed right. here yeah, because the, the libertarian party has in my time of paying attention to them uh, which is, you know, more than two decades at this point, has never said boo about the Free State Project. And so the fact that they actually endorsed it uh, was enough f- to push me back over the edge, and I rejoined uh, the party at that point. But, you know, you haven't seen the sort of right-wing push that Starchild was alluding to, have you? I, I, haven't, I haven't noticed it. I honestly didn't even think it was left-wing before the new management. I thought it was just lame and, like, yeah. kind of corporate and kind of... Principalists, you know, like I, I never saw them say anything explicitly left wing, quote unquote. It was more just kind of it, it all fell flat. And now they're just much more bold. But, mm, uh, that's you know, a good way to describe it. They're also like saying that we can't get involved in the, you know, the, the tension taking place between Taiwan and China. And, you know, they're talking about how Trump uh, committed war crimes and belongs in prison, I think. You know, there's been lots of stuff that's definitely not catering to right-wingers at all. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's going to shock right-wingers. Like, wait, what? We thought we were the good guys, and we thought anti-war just meant we don't want to get involved in Ukraine. You mean we can't even get involved in Taiwan? So I, I really don't think that's accurate. I think it's just a lot more uh, It's a lot more anti-interventionist and a lot more specific about what our goals are. What do you think, Starchum? Um, I, I think there's some truth to that. I, I don't think it's over the top right wing now, and I don't think it was over the top left wing before. Um, in fact, portraying it in those terms in some ways isn't really even helpful because, as, as mm-hmm. one of you was saying earlier, you know, the, the freedom movement really isn't 
left or, or right. It's it's pro freedom and anti authoritarian. And right. and my I also want to say my first allegiance has always been to the movement because I, I kind of define the freedom movement as you know any one individual organization that's consciously working for freedom. The whole idea of the these appeasers, if they if these people ever do get elected, watch out. Because they're the ones, in my opinion, that are most likely to become corrupted. They're the ones that seem to really have it in for seeking that power. And we've seen it happen here in New Hampshire. We've seen Free State Project people migrate here, get elected to state rep seats, and then completely lose their minds. Now, uh, whether they were appeasers or not prior to that, I can't say specifically, but I just so I think I think it can happen to anybody because that's just sort of the nature of power and humans and libertarians are humans. And so they're going to be susceptible to it. I I would hope that libertarians are less susceptible to it than the average person. But it does happen. And it is it's always sad to see. But the people that are are looking to curry favor with existing Mm -hmm. uh, power holders. I don't think those people can you, be trusted. You're not going to coattail your way to the top. You're always going to be riding the coattail. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So that's how it goes. You know? Yep. Uh, so that's one of the big, big problems. But this, to come back around to what you were saying earlier, Reed, about you know the idea of um, you know being an extremist and mm-hmm. perhaps you know, embracing that terminology, uh, there was something that they used to dis- uh, they used to call in the Libertarian Party uh, the Libertarian Macho Flash, and mm-hmm. the idea of that was that. You would say the thing that is the most offensive, like you would say the most radical, potentially offensive thing in order to get attention, right? Don't you, they call you, that edge lordy too? That's probably a newer term yeah. for it. I, I, that's yeah. This one came about twenty, okay, okay. 30 years ago yeah, or something yeah. like that. And there was always a debate over this tactic. It's something that a lot of libertarians did, and others said, well. That's not the best way to reach people. It's not a, not the best way to reach a large number of people. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I, I'm for all sorts of different messaging. I don't think we should all try the same thing. Like, you know, Agreed. the thing that happened with LP New Hampshire, like a lot of people were upset. And it's like, you mean well, with John McCain? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they were making fun of uh, him being dead, basically, <laughs> exactly. recently. Yeah. Like, that, that pissed a lot of people off. I and thought I, it was great. Wait, he died? Four uh, years ago. Oh, great. Yeah. Great, great. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, I thought that was awesome and hilarious, yeah. and to- a ton of people did, and a ton of people didn't. And some people were saying, hey, this isn't the best way to message. And my response to those people would be, okay, well, just go do your messaging. You know, and, and this happens on both sides. Like the extreme people get upset at like Larry Sharp for going the way he does. And it's like, you know what? Larry Sharp is That's effective. the guy that runs for governor in, in New, uh, York. New York. Yeah. And like, it's like Larry Sharp is good at messaging to a certain group of people. Yeah. When the LPNH, and I, I, this time I want to make sure I attribute this right, when the LPNH account tweets stuff like, um, like uh, I believe it was LPNH doing this one, uh, or it could have been Kaufman, but uh, rootless cosmopolitans, which was a Stalinist term for Jews, and it's, 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 it's edgy, but it um, creates a certain kind of conversation or uh, makes a six million joke, which would be hilarious on a podcast if, it was, if you're doing dark. Okay, humor. what was the six but million like from, joke? Uh, this was something that happened a few days ago. Do you remember the yeah, exact... It was like uh, some lady said, uh, some some leftist said uh, twenty five dollars hours of minimum wage, or you're racist, or something. I don't know, something ridiculous. And someone said a hundred dollars, or you're racist, and and then they said six million dollars oh an hour, or you're uh, anti-Semitic. And I mean, yeah, that's 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 blue humor, but from coming from, it, it has a time in its place, I guess. Uh, maybe, or you maybe might think it does. So basically, it's a have, it's a joke about the Holocaust, essentially. The Holocaust, mm-hmm. which is something you usually don't want to joke about um, on a public forum. 
And 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 the idea. And is, apparently, they did delete people. this post uh, later on. So I quote tweeted it. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, saying exactly basically what I said now, like, I, like maybe it's the time and a place. Maybe there isn't. But maybe there is. But like, I don't think every time this happens again and again and again, I don't think that like these people are necessarily they're racist or they're. Uh, anti- I, mean, I don't. I, I think they're very intelligent people. So they're also not doing it because they're stupid or immature. I think they seem to want to create the, it seems like they obviously want to create the conversation around anti-Semitism and the alt-right and, and racism and distract from what could be a more productive conversation. Because they obviously can predict what the conversation is going to be about. It. Yeah, uh, that's, that's an interesting thing that you bring up with this, the Holocaust joke. I mean, I tend to believe that there is no time limit on on cracking a joke about something. I think that there's no... Uh, you know, there's no too soon, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, obviously, though, certain topics are more likely to be more incendiary than others. And so I can understand why people get mad about that sort of thing. Uh, what do you guys think about it? Did you yeah. see it? Were you yeah. aware I of didn't, it? I, I mean, I get the premise where you're just saying, but, you know, I, I agree with you. It's never too soon. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I, I laugh about just about everything. I mean, it's a joke. Like, let's get over, you know, it's how we get over things, you know? You're gonna screw up sometimes, you know. Like, I just like did. Yeah. well, there's that. But uh, good example. You know, we're on the air every night on Free Talk Live for three hours a night, and some shows are better than others. Some uh, segments are are better than others. You th- you put enough content out there, some of them are gonna be uh, home runs, and some of them are just not gonna and go anywhere. LP New Hampshire is like trying this weird, like, um, you know, this kind of edge lording, uh, extreme messaging, and they're kind of like figuring out what is acceptable to get away with what isn't acceptable to get away with so you're going to screw it mm-hmm. up occasionally and- i think i honestly i think it's a great uh thing overall i mean just, yeah. despite the, the whatever downsides there have been i think it's good because the more principled the libertarian party of new hampshire can be the more people are going to who are principled are right. going to react to that and they're going to consider moving here because mm-hmm. what that's what we need more than anything else. People Look, who practice what they preach. The Libertarian yeah. Party, good for them. They're still out there doing the same things they've done for five decades now or whatever, which is running a political candidate once every four years in whatever state we're, we're talking about and then just doing basically nothing uh, until then. Maybe if you're lucky, you, you're in an area where there's enough activists to run like an outreach booth at a county fair. Maybe. You know, if they're doing ongoing outreach, then that's about it but they're not growing they're not they're not changing their numbers they're not getting more uh people voting for them with the exception of 2018 or sorry 2016 where gary johnson did get a record number of votes but i'm pretty sure they could have run a shrieking monkey at that time and gotten the (laughs) same number of votes because uh i think that the only reason why libertarians got an unusual number of votes in 2016 was because people hated Hillary and Trump, and they they were just looking for something else. You have to to remember, not only did the Libertarians triple their vote numbers, but the Green Party also tripled their their vote numbers compared to to 2016. It's a matter of time the third parties actually, you know, have like some sort of precedent and voice maybe in the mainstream media. I don't really care about them, but, you know, it's way we're going to reach some people if we can get there. Well, at the national level, the thing is, and and again, I like to see what the Libertarian Party is doing now with better better messaging, but I don't think it's going to really result in much of anything. Uh, If the best, I think the best case scenario for the National Libertarian Party is that it is used as a pipeline to get the best Libertarians to New Hampshire, where we can then have an actual Libertarian place or the most freedom-oriented place for people to physically migrate to. Uh, Penguin, any other comments? Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I see your points, 
Uh, and you know, I respect, respectfully, I think disagree. Like I said, I think it's a time and a place, and um, I think it can it can be a net negative. I just get to steal the conversation the wrong uh, wrong way. And if if you did, you know, edgy posts, but you did them about like ghost guns or like you know zoning laws or, or cops or whatever, something, you know, and and and, and on and on, and it kind of kept the conversation going versus just trying to get attention at all costs. Like I say, they say no publicity is. No publicity is negative publicity. You know, some people are very upset uh, with this more edgy messaging or some would say more principled uh, messaging, messaging that isn't concerned for the feelings of the people, per se, that are are looking at it. And, you know, this has always been a conversation within the libertarian movement. And, and like Starchild, I also have been around, you know, this movement since the 1990s. And I I tend to side on as far as the messaging for groups like LPNH, for instance, has stirred it up recently with some of their their Twitter posts. To me, it makes more sense to do what LPNH is doing, which is to say, be potentially offensive to make jokes that could upset people uh, that will definitely upset certain groups of people like the people we don't want in the party. People like Megan McCain right, pushes them away and yeah. uh, warmongers and, and people like that. The fact is libertarianism isn't for everybody. And I think that uh, that's that's a realization. You mentioned Jeremy Kaufman earlier tonight, Reed, and there's some things he's been saying, I think, on the Free State Live podcast that they unfortunately have stopped producing. I hope they get back to doing it. Uh, but uh, one of the things that that, you know, he had pointed out is I think it was COVID brought brought him to this conclusion is like. Yeah, we we can't recruit everybody in it. This is not going to liberty isn't for everybody. There's just some people out there that are not interested in freedom. They want to either control others or they are into being told what to do. Right. And what percentage of the population is like that seems very very large when you looked around during COVID and saw well, there's so other much, states you can move to. Right. Yeah. And, but you see so much obedience on the part of uh, of average people. It was so it was really disappointing. Uh, during that and so there's the thing that makes the most sense is to be the most libertarian you can be as a signal to others out there to say you should come here you should physically be with people that understand these ideas because you're never going to get anywhere anywhere else you never like did you ever do you were in utah before this uh reed did you ever do anything with the libertarians out there did you ever i go did to a, yeah it was actually the first time i officially joined the libertarian party when I was out in Utah, and like I said, when I was living here before, I was never part of the Free State Project or mm-hmm. the Libertarian Party, so it's kind of funny that I got involved with it out there. But uh, there's a different breed here, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I, I could just tell uh, from the way that people act and the way they want to be perceived. Uh, we, I mean, we want to be perceived as almost an insurgency here, you know, where in Utah it wasn't really the case. It's I mean, a peaceful insurgency. Yeah, peaceful insurgency. Mostly peaceful insurgency. When you're, that, mi- jo- uh, when you're the minority, like in Utah, you, you really can't be like you know any any much effective. When you're out here, because we've migrated here, we're very effective, and I feel like you have more of a voice here. The libertarians who are running as Republicans are doing overall good work here in New Hampshire, and most importantly, they're actually getting elected, so they are moving things right. forward in a in, in a certain way. They're not moving it in the way that those of us who you know are more let's say um, radical or more principled would like them to like for instance they've not proposed to end the war on drugs for instance or abolish right. government schools or like going all in they're playing the political game 
And they seem to be having some success at it. And it is really setting off the Democrats. So I think it all needs to happen. And it all is all happening here. We have so many different prongs of an ap- approach. And this comes back to when you have numbers, there's so much more that's possible. You can have different groups with different approaches, all within the same relatively small place. Whatever angle works. That's what yeah, I, you know. exactly. So, I mean, and, and again, to come back to the, the point of, Stop taking time out of your life to to down somebody else's activism. I mean, it's not to say you can't have an opinion about it. By all means, have an opinion. Feel free to share that opinion. But you know, once you're done sharing the opinion, get back to work and mm-hmm. don't don't argue forever on the internet about LPNH's most recent tweet when you could be doing something productive with your time. The other thing yeah. is people act like these moments in time are eternal and they're not like everyone is going to forget about this tweet oh, yeah. in two weeks two more like, days we've or, already yeah. forgotten about jean-luc Brunel, you know dying you know, committing suicide in his cell and we've forgotten about uh you know depending on the day we forget about the war in ukraine we forget about mm-hmm. like tensions rising with taiwan and china like just we just forget about it because something will happen in the news so yep. acting like this is going to be a stain yeah. you know is ridiculous <laughs> like just get it over. was just a sideshow Sarah Palin was running for, I'm thinking, Congress, the Senate, or some such thing. And they got this crazy ticket that somehow they rifled through here where you got to basically bet a win-place show ticket if you're familiar with horse racing. First place, second, and third, right? Okay. So um, most people, they, they support one person, and they, they would just vote that person. And if that person didn't make it through the percentile cut, they would be eliminated. And there was one cat that called in at the show I was listening to earlier, and he said he voted Palin three times. And the Dominion voting machine rejected his ticket. So well, uh, are you saying that the the Alaskans have uh, one of these alternative voting systems, like approval voting or a ranked choice where you're not just ranked picking choice. one. Maine's got the same thing. Mm-hmm. Ranked choice. Mm-hmm. That's plus. It's ranked choice. Okay, so in that case, you would have to say if there's three candidates on the ballot, you could write number one uh, or choose one. I don't know how the ballots look for this, but essentially, you 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 rank them in your your preference. So yes, I would like to see this person win the most. Number one, I would like to see this person win less than that, but I'll still accept them. Number two, mm. and then I don't really care for this person. Or you don't have to rank. You don't have to go through all three. But you're saying someone somehow did three votes for the same person? No, what, there was one guy that tried to take his first win place and show ticket uh-huh. and put it on the same horse. Right? Understand what I'm saying? I mean, so, I've never uh, tried this, so I don't know what it's like. But okay, I get what you're well, saying. Okay, so uh, but the Dominion voting machine mm-hmm. rejected, and those Dominion voting machines came from Venezuela, dude. Where <laughs> elections have been corrupt forever. Yeah, wasn't right? it one of the uh, the big politicians' husbands or something like Nancy Pelosi or something like that who was involved with this Dominion? I don't know which one it is, but I remember hearing something about I'm that. Sure the big giant head has his thumb on mm-hmm. yeah i wish we could amass a troop but we wouldn't know who to fight it's a damned bloody shame you had a yeah. personal win yes up front by court security tell us what happened well uh this would have been my fourth time at the federal court and each time i've been challenging the id law or the lack thereof uh 
they're say they would say that there's a rule that you have to ID it again to federal court. They don't let you in with anything. You cannot right. bring in a phone. You cannot bring in an audio recording nope. device. You cannot bring in a camera, nope. still camera, video camera, you name it. Without you know permission from the judge, right? That's never going to be granted. Well, ever. I want to try. Well, Actually, good, I wish you the best. It's a shall, but I don't know what the time limits are. There's so. a court rule from like 1946 banning any recording devices okay. uh, in you know being held by the public. They have their own cameras of in, the, in the court, but yeah, you and, and I, I, aren't I do allowed. courtroom sketches, and I always draw one of the cameras in the courtroom right. just to make it ironic. Yeah, you can you can bring a pencil and paper, yes. or a pen and paper, but yes. that's about all that they allow in. The only other thing you can basically bring in is your ID. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they try to make it sound like you have to have ID right. to get into the federal court. And what's really ironic? Okay, so let me tell you the story first. Now, uh, okay. get the kicker. But um, I challenge it every time, and I've uh, ended up started talking to the court marshal. And by challenging it, you mean Not, you don't show yes, ID? Yeah, I'm basically waiting to go through their checkpoint, mm-hmm. the security checkpoint, and then go to court. How long does it take? When they, they say, well, hold on, we got to call somebody down here or whatever. Uh, it the taking- first time took a little bit longer, but like maybe eight minutes at the okay, most. And then right. today uh, it was about like two minutes. Oh, I'm surprised. Yeah. So he came down really quick because he, knew, he knew it was going to be me. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, so the last time I, uh, the last two times, wait, the last time I went there, last time I went there for Jeremy Kaufman's hearing. Mm. Uh, for the, for the SC- library yeah, thing. The, yep. The library odyssey, SEC. Um, That's a whole other story. Complaint. Yeah, that's a whole other story. But uh, in between uh, recess, I went down and uh, filed with the clerk uh, for the rule, you know, to know what it is. And she printed out the local rules saying basically the marshals can make any rules they want. I'm mm. like, oh, that's what you're going to give me? And uh, then I went to the marshals, uh, the U.S. marshals there in the court, and um, I did a records request re- regarding... Because uh, they run security. They're right. their agents. And they printed out... Um, what the website said, saying you're required. I'm like, well, what's, where's the rule? Where's yeah, the is law? Is there an actual law? Right. Was your question. And I have both, I have all the paperwork right here. They also printed out the real ID because I guess the real ID is going to have to be mandatory to have to enter. Uh, I don't federal believe buildings. it. Joe, was there more that you wanted to say about the whole court ID shenanigans oh, yeah. where they've been demanding yeah. ID to get into federal court? For years. Yes. Know, it's probably been going on for decades. So th- you yeah. may have been the first person to say, well, what if I don't have ID? Can I, can I, am I prohibited from attending well, I didn't public even try trials? That. I didn't try that angle. I just, I'm straight up refusing. Yeah. It's not that I didn't have one or not. I just didn't want to give it to him. Mm. But uh, there is one ID, ID law in the building. And it's right there as soon as you walk in on the right. And is it a law or is it just a oh, policy? I think it's. I think they have to file policy. I'm pretty sure it's federal law. Yeah, it's federal code of conduct on the okay. wall there. And I did. Um, the only identifying law is if you are a federal employee, you must identify ah. when going into the court. So ironically, if you're from the public and you just want to go into court, you don't have to show ID. That's your and right. You've proven this at yes. this point. And but and also, and I that's when I went in after uh, we all walked out of the the court. I walked back in recording my camera, recording my camera, my phone, and um, and they were saying I couldn't record in there, which is of course it's also baloney. In the lobby, right in that little area, is mm-hmm. the only place you're allowed to record. Uh, but uh, the, and the proof is that they didn't arrest you for it. That's good evidence. Oh yeah, right there. And they're they're very testy. They're very testy. You know what? You remind me something, uh, Joe, that one of our co-hosts, uh, Sam Dodson, did probably like a decade ago now. This might have been 2009 or 2010. Okay. He went through TSA and didn't show ID. Refused. And he, and he did it more than once. Straight and, up refused or correct. didn't ask. Okay. 
Yeah, and he was able to board a flight. I mean, if he's not a risk, and uh, I'm sure they have all the you know biometrics uh, to scan your face and they can identify who you are. Um, well, basically, um, they they take you through extra rigmarole, right? Like, okay, well, oh, yeah. now you got to come over and answer a bunch of questions or whatever. Your butt. They give you the the total deep search kind of thing. But he was able to get on uh, board a plane. Now, I don't know if this is still something that you can do. I don't know if they've tightened things down even further since 2009. But it, it was one of those kind of things where, oh, the feds say a thing. But then if somebody is actually willing to... Take the inconvenience, because most people, when they're going to an airport, they're in a rush. Right. right? Like, they got a plane to get to, and they don't have time to test something, to test uh, the security there. So according to this recent study they did over at YouGov, and The Economist, I guess, sponsored this one, more than two-fifths of Americans believe that civil war is at least somewhat likely in the next 10 years, according to a new survey, a figure that increases to more than half among those self-identified as strong Republicans. Uh, Sunday night, uh, they went on, they talk about politicians here. I guess there's really not much uh, else to say. Political violence to talk about here, different people attacking one another uh, in actual violence. Most experts believe a full-scale armed conflict like the American Civil War from the 1800s remains unlikely and that and that leads me to the usual question and, and if anybody has an answer for it I'd, I'd love to hear it what do people mean when they say civil war what what do you think and do you guys believe this that the that a civil war is likely now and for those that do believe it what are they envisioning what do they see who are the sides who's fighting i don't believe it's going to be as much physical battle, I think it's going to be a financial battle. Like they're going to be going after people in all kinds of ways, and some people might actually fight back when they come to their doors. And I think mm-hmm. we're already seeing this kind of now. So it's like a, like like everything else that's happening. It's like the slow kill. This is going to be a slow civil war. Like yeah. there's going to be separations in in you know maybe a little bit more Antifa rise up and these proud boys fighting in the streets. But I don't think it's going to be a full blown. There might be like still more exaggerated shootings, like what happened. Um, at that protest with Rittenhouse. You might see some of that, but it's not going to be like, I don't think, a full-on battle. And if it does get to that, I don't think it's going to spark it all across the country. I think it's going to be isolated mm-hmm. incidents. But, yeah, 60- I, I agree with that. Like, it's going to be, there's going to be fights and there's going to be riots and stuff, but I don't see where this delineation would be, like, for a, an actual arm you know war with armies facing each other like yeah i mean there's already been riots there's (laughs) already been you know various different protests that have erupted into burnings uh buildings and Mm -hmm. things like that within Mm -hmm. the last couple of years and that's i don't think anybody's gonna look usually you don't get to say in the moment oh it's a war now it's usually later you look back oh okay yeah they shot the archduke and that's what started right so you don't really have the perspective i don't think in the moment to know for sure and i like to say they got drones guys they got. I mean, when I say that, oh, if you're the, talking about going up against the government, yeah, it's yeah, that's the, that would be like the civil war perspective. I, I don't see Democrats and Republicans going though, at it because the Democrats would just be wiped out. It won't be much of a war for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. So, like a revolutionary. I mean, yeah, that's an interesting distinction distinction between a revolutionary war and a civil war. Like, would it be against the government or like the people against each other you know very different things yeah what's the difference between a revolutionary war and a civil war is a revolutionary war revolutionary because somebody wins it and they get to write history later right. on well because like, like i said like it's it. gonna be a financial battle so I, I look at if you want to put it in like a edgelordy kind of look uh it's gonna be the welfare recipients versus the taxpayers okay i'm an npr junkie and 
a wonderful compliment was given to the Freedom Movement by the New Hampshire NPR correspondent, Sarah Gibson. She was praising the Freedom Movement left and right. And it was so exciting for me to hear it. That doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like something you'd hear on NHPR. I beg your pardon. That doesn't sound like something you would hear on New Hampshire Public Radio. Oh, that's for sure. So that's why I made certain I was listening carefully for the entire program, and I said I must call the show and tell them that there was favorable comments regarding the freedom movement in New Hampshire. So who is this person, Sarah? Who? Sarah Gibson is Gibson. the correspondent's name. And you're saying this was New Hampshire Public Radio? No, it was on my local NPR station here in oh, Charleston. Okay. But she is with the NPR affiliate in New Hampshire. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And the second thing is, going back to what you guys were just speaking about, war, I don't see... The war in Ukraine and Russia, because it's in both areas, I don't see it ending. I don't think Europe or the United States wants it to end. They're making too much off of it, politically and financially. Agreed. Yeah, I did just see, uh, I, I wish I had the audio ready to go, but there was a clip with, I don't know who the hell she is in Germany, but some German politician, I don't know if you guys saw this, like no. a quick one-minute clip, where she was saying... Basically, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it. She was saying, yeah, things are going to get bad this winter, but you know what? We're going to do whatever it takes to keep supporting Ukraine. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable my uh, you know, uh, followers or whatever, the people in my district right. uh, get. We're going to do whatever it takes, even if the politicians are uncomfortable, as though what she was referring to wasn't that they weren't, weren't going to have their homes heated, because that's what's going to happen to some of the people likely in, in Germany. Because right. you know the politicians are going to be fine. They're going to have all the heat that, uh, that sure. they need. Yeah. What she meant by being uncomfortable was that people would be... She's expecting to hear from people, right? Because once they start getting cold during the winter because they don't have enough energy because they can't get it from Russia and they're paying too much to buy it you know, on ships from China... Uh, they're gonna be they're gonna be calling her. They're gonna be knocking on her door and making politicians uncomfortable. But she yeah. says, no matter how uncomfortable it gets, we're gonna stick with Ukraine. It's all worth protecting that vibrant democracy in Ukraine, where the they freedom jail country. political yeah. opponents, yeah, it's the admitted neo-Nazi leadership, where they literally <laughs> have forbidden the political opponents. Right. There's a, you cannot be in the opposition party now, and they have jailed uh, some of them. And now, recently, there was news that they were also banning the Russian language. Uh, as well, well in Ukraine? often the oppressed become the oppressor historically. Sure, yeah, that absolutely happens. Kind of the uh, the cycle of violence in that case. Our city, they want to really curb this uh, copper wire theft. They- copper wire theft. You're talking about where people who are probably very down on their luck, uh, drug addicted, perhaps whatever their reasoning. They will go into buildings, perhaps new homes that are being constructed or abandoned homes, probably more likely, and they will strip it of their copper wire and then take that wire to wherever it is that they can sell it to make a few bucks. That's what you're referring to? Well, that also happens that they just, it's the, you know those uh, green boxes with the electrical wiring sitting out in the, um, we have those out, out in the public street, mm-hmm. and then they strip those. They bust really? those. I don't know what's 
It's not. There's silver, uh, silver connection heads on a lot of electrical, you know, connection boxes. That sounds high risk to me. I mean, I've never, uh, you know, I'm not an electrician or anything like that, but I've, I've been near those boxes and I can hear the humming noise coming from them, and it sounds like there's probably some serious. You have to know what you're doing to not kill yourself (laughs) to take those. you guys are laughing because I'm, I'm glad I make you guys laugh. Yeah, like, you're I hilarious. Have, like, well, I mean, yeah, like, I live in this town, and and I have I've got immune. I've accepted these phenomena as like a normality. Like you you can't walk a couple of blocks as where they see a uh, see a um, busted box open, ripped out open. Everywhere you go, Jeez. you can't go anywhere. I, I know. I mean, isn't this? I have never been. By the way, uh, Reed, just to, I don't think you, you probably don't know who Sarah is. She is a regular caller. So, oh, okay. Uh, you will hear from Sarah almost every night on Free Talk Live. She calls in from Albuquerque. She's a self professed communist and she is a total uh, welfare queen. She's constantly receiving money from the government. She hasn't worked since she was a teenager. And she's how I believe. She wants in to her. ban everything like yeah. menthol cigarettes <laughs> and drag racing. Hey, and then yeah. I want to add one thing. I'm going to go to that. They have a Frida Carlos Life uh, Museum or art exhibit. Is it free? And she is the. Hold on. Before you move on, Sarah, I want to go back to the original uh, copper stripping thing that you're talking about. What are they planning to do about that? What What was it that you were bringing that up for? Well. That's what my bafflement is. They're going to have this copper wire prevention um, committee or some coalition oh, or whatever. Oh, committee is going to do, do something. Yeah, or co- <laughs> they want to do something about it. I'm just kind of like with a big question mark on my face. Joe Biden's daughter made a journal about her, her, him and her having a, taking a shower together. I have heard these allegations as well. Obviously, it was like a journal that got leaked. I don't know exactly. Yeah, well, this was, I think, what the FBI is going after Project Veritas for right now. Are you familiar? Did you guys hear that they got raided last year? I did hear about that. Yeah. 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 So they raided Project Veritas. They raided us in uh, in March, and then I think it was in November they raided the Project Veritas journalists, and that was all about this di- uh, diary. I think her name is Ashley Biden, and they. Got it from somebody. Somebody offered it to Project Veritas, and I think actually Project Veritas, I think they refused it, if I recall correctly. Or maybe they, they, they received it, but then they didn't publish it. It was something like that. And this is why they got raided, because of the journal, right? Wow. This, this is the whole thing. It What's was because a- that journal they got raided. That's the ostensible reason for the That's, raid, yeah. yeah. And now apparently they have gotten the two people who allegedly stole the journal to plead guilty. So that was one of the more recent developments in this case. So they straight up stole it? Like how that happened, you know? I don't know. Okay. I don't know the details. But ostensibly they have taken a guilty plea, and the theory right. is is that the people who have now pled guilty are going to testify against Project Veritas. So they see, think that they're going to come back and make arrests. Because when they raided Project Veritas, they did not arrest uh-huh. people. I was watching the YouTube sports channel thing, the recap of the Major League Baseball games, and in particular, Kansas City and Chicago. The stadium was practically empty. There couldn't have been more than 10% filled there. Is there something going on? Are people boycotting them? Is it the economy that's hurting the sports or is that do you guys that's an interesting question i mean obviously the attendance of live sports dropped off the radar during the covid COVID. insanity 
but it's now supposedly things are supposed to be bouncing back. I'm not a sports fan, so I don't follow these things closely. Do, are either. either of you into? No. no. Um, I mean, it used to be, I, I've collected autographs in the past, but... Any speculation on why people wouldn't be going to games at this point? I, I mean, they all got the shot so they can go to the games. So maybe a good percentage of them died off. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. Um, I think you're, you know, maybe your guess on the economy might be a factor, Greg, because if you've got, you know, right now a lot of people are hurting. Uh, I don't know. How's the power situation in, in Oregon? Uh, here in New Hampshire, they just doubled the supply <laughs> rates. And, and one more thing, month. though, is. One more thing it's is that I think care. because people don't care about sports when they have financial crisis, that's that's what right. I'm saying. Oh, that's, okay, what I'm, okay. that's what I'm saying. So what what were you going to say, Greg? How's the what's the power situation there? Are you guys seeing higher yeah, rates? Hydro, most of our power comes from hydroelectric, the Columbia River dams. Okay. So knock on wood, we've been pretty good. You but that's good. I, th- this thing with electric cars and now people in L.A. can't charge their cars because the air conditioners will quit working. What what a mess. So, regardless of what people are paying for power, the price the the uh, you know the price of gas has gone up. The price, of course, at the grocery oh, yeah. store is is going up. And if people are feeling pinched uh, economically, they're going to cut back. I mean, that's just it's what you have to do. And if one of the things you were doing regularly is going to sporting events, then that's an easy thing to cut, right? Like it's not it's not a cheap outing. Even if you can get good prices on tickets, you aren't going to get a good price on the hot dog, and you sure as hell aren't going to get a good price right. on a beer. So, like, hey, if, what, go ahead. One thing to switch gears on you guys: Do you think we'll ever know the real source of the COVID virus, and if it was any different than just a regular seasonal flu? Because now no one's va- no one's demanding getting vaccines. No one's wearing masks. And the COVID's still out there, but it's just like we've forgotten about it. It just fizzled away, right? Well, I think that's good because it really wasn't ever a threat. I'm glad you brought up the Biden crime family Mm -hmm. because we have to be bold about this because look at our enemies deeply. We talk about it here. There's a morning show at WKHMTheMorning.com live. Steve Boyle hosts great guy we take calls mm-hmm. i'll tell you what it must be a little different in new hampshire than it is here in michigan hmm. great it's called freedom our just <laughs> most highly esteemed governor and tudor dixon and she and sheen hernandez it'll be pivotable as i say pivotal i don't know who those it'll, names are that you're referring to a big deal as far as a new governor in the state of Michigan. Uh, okay, you, you mentioned some names, Dave, and I, I don't have any idea who you're referring to. I've heard of the Whitmer well, uh, person. I know who that person is. That's the current governor. Uh, there was the alleged plot that the FBI cooked up to kidnap her. Oh but who are the other names that you just dropped? Tudor Dixon. Tudor Dixon. And Shane Hernandez, her running mate, are the Republicans are going up against the great Gretsch and her lieutenant governor. I think his name is Gilchrist, and he's straight out of Detroit. Now, I think for sure that Gretchen and that hardcore Democratic Party and the Biden crime family, the Secretary of Energy, uh, What's her name? Oh, yes, I remember now. Her name is 
Wait a second. I don't know what it is you're getting at here. Are you saying you think that the Republicans, Dave, are going to somehow change Michigan for the better? Because I'm call me skeptical. Well, it can't hurt, I guess. I think that I think that the whole thing, as long as I lived here on Earth, it just seems like, man, do I really believe in what I believe in? You know, is it all politics or is it something more than what I can understand or see? Do you guys think that Trump's going to be indicted and go to jail based on the government? Mm. And I love New Hampshire Libertarian Party on Twitter, by the way. I'm just going to throw it out I, there. I kind of <laughs> doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it would be really... You think all of this workup will be for nothing? Like all yeah. of this, I mean, they have impeached him twice and weren't able to really. Yeah, look like, at the pattern. Russia, Russia. Mm-hmm. The impeachments were based on Russia, Russia and Ukraine, and, and then yeah, years, almost a decade of this, and then this comes up. So the people believe in this still, like they can't see a pattern. I mean, the FBI doesn't usually raid a place without the intention to gather evidence for an indictment. Uh, Even Judge Napolitano, who is a pretty, I don't know if you can use the word anarchist, he might use that word. He's a pretty freedom-oriented character. There was an opinion piece published by him, I think within the last 24 hours, where he said he's certain that Trump's going to be indicted. Really? Uh, so, I mean, I, I, my opinion prior to the FBI raid was they will never go after former presidents for well, anything. Well, whatever. It didn't matter that it was Trump, that they would never touch him because he was a former president. And if you get into that position, you just, you're basically untouchable. And they've proven me wrong well, on that. Whatever's mm-hmm. happening um, is that it, it seems like it's infighting. And the common denominator with all this infighting and what they all have in common, Jeffrey Epstein. They've all been on yeah. his plane. They mm-hmm. all hung out with them. The judge to Trump to the lawyers. They all knew Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's uh, this cabal that, that's been revealed since the whole Epstein fiasco is really yeah, just like, yeah, it's just yeah. this house of cl- uh, cards collapsing. And maybe they're just going to take out, you know, maybe that most outspoken person. You know? Knowing Epstein and being on the plane with Epstein are two different things. He was a billionaire. Yeah, however, I've had uh, Maria Farmer on my show, and this is eyewitness testimony, so, you know, take it for what it's worth. Who is she? Maria Farmer was, uh, she was an Epstein, I don't even know how you, she was a victim, but she was kind of tricked into working for him initially, Hmm. and then ended up blowing the whistle on the whole thing back in 1996, reporting them to the FBI, and then it all got memory hold. You just listened to the new extended Free Talk Live Daily Digest. We felt this format was more appropriate for our podcast audience and decided to make it our official podcast. If you subscribe to the Daily Digest or full episode RSS feeds, please resubscribe to the main FTL podcast feed, which you can find at feeds.freetalklive.com. The other feeds rely on a third-party service, and though they'll have the same content, we can't be sure how long they'll stay online. If you still want the entire radio show, you can listen live every night from 7 to 10 Eastern at freetalklive.com. Full video archives are at video.freetalklive.com or tune into our 24-7 stream for the latest show at listen.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live's amps will continue to receive the full two-hour radio show with no recorded commercials via podcast through Patreon. So please join amps.freetalklive.com for just $5 a month. Thank you for listening to and sharing Free Talk Live.